Welcome to the Joe Watt Podcast. I am Joe Vendermini from the Range Cattle Research and Education Center. And today our guest is Audi Spell. Audi, thanks for being with us today. It's a pleasure being here, Joe. Audi, can you please introduce yourself and talk to us about your background? Sure. Uh, as Joe said, it's Audi Spell. Um, I grew up in the bayous of Louisiana, uh, was educated there, and uh, made my way to Kansas State University. Um, pursued a master's there and for 28 years have been doing commercial embryo transfer and 100% on the farm, no lab involved. So um, for 28 years I've been flushing and transferring cows. And, and Audi, can you please tell us, uh, you have been in this business for 28 years, a lot of about the history and the changes that happened in the embryo transfer? Yeah, so embryo transfer in cattle in particular has probably come to light or commercially in probably the 70s, and it was uh, used very widely and was very expensive, but the tax laws were very beneficial to uh, use embryo transfer. So I got my start at Granada Biosciences in Texas, and at the time they were the largest embryo transfer company in the world. And things evolved and tax laws changed, so some of the embryo transfer, um, you know, the prices and those kind of things have, have gone down considerably since then. But embryo transfer is still pretty, pretty, uh, pretty alive. Um, most of my business, if not all, is uh, beef cattle, simply because there are no dairies left in the territory that I work in. So um, most of it's probably done in the in the beef cattle world uh, in the U.S. Simply because there's more cows. Mm -hmm. And on the beef cattle, you pretty much focus on purebred herds. Yes, um, and we've worked on every breed there is, anyone you can can think of. But yes, purebred cattle. We flush purebred cows, and the embryos probably 90% of the time go into commercial cows as uh, recipients or surrogate mothers. And, and Audie, when you were doing the embryo transfer, so can you share with us some of the parameters or the outcomes that you can have regarding number, number of embryos and during the process of freezing or fresh when you transfer, what is what you are looking for? Yeah, that, that's a big question with a big answer, but industry average will tell us that uh, in beef cattle in particular, I can't share dairy because I don't work there, but we, and the numbers have changed, probably in the 70s and 80s, we averaged probably seven and a half good embryos per flush, and that's across all breeds in the United States. Today, I think we're less than that. We're probably in the neighborhood of five, and um, we, we tell people to expect on a fresh embryo flushed out of the cow and transferred to a surrogate mother directly, we tell you to expect a 60% pregnancy rate. That will vary. The further south you get into Florida, that will drop considerably. But it's not uncommon in Montana to see 70 and 80% conception rates on those same embryos just because of environment and nutrition as well. When you freeze the embryo and then thaw it back subsequently, you'll expect at least a 10% drop in pregnancy rate because of that process. We do some damage to the embryo that we can't reverse. And you said about the environment effect. Does that confound a little bit with the the bloodlines or the influence of uh, both indicus in the cattle in the south? Absolutely. We'd see, we, we traditionally see higher pregnancy rates or flush you know, number of embryos come out of a flush in English bred cattle than the than the boss indicus type cattle. Mm. The indicus can be more sensitive to the drugs and maybe give more embryos, but the pregnancy rates tend to be a lot lower. And especially if you freeze those embryos, they will produce lower pregnancy rates too. Okay. And, and Audi, <clears throat> with those um, uh, outcomes in mind, with those numbers that you just mentioned to the average, what do you think that is, is happening in the industry now that will drive those numbers up? or is driving down 
as you said, because the the average of embers is are decreasing. Yeah, and this is kind of a just an opinion of mine. I can get on my soapbox, but I I truly believe that the industry has now, in certain breeds. Um, concentrated more on carcass than they are fertility and we know carcass is a growth trait which is not correlating to fertility necessarily so i think that uh you know dollar beef is highly uh talked about in particular breeds angus in particular and i think that probably has driven down the average number of good embryos per flush and and Ollie, do you think that with that in mind associated with other things do you think that the embryo transfer business is getting closer to a commercial cattle or is getting further away from commercial and more restricted to purebreds? I don't think it's changed at all. There's been several people that have tried to implement it into a commercial environment, but I don't, it, as it stands now, and I don't see prices going down, it has not proven cost effective in a commercial situation to flush commercial cows and transfer those embryos. The, the, the way that commercial people participate is supplying recipients as surrogate mothers when the calves are born they sell a wing calf back to the purebred person so there's there is a premium in that regard and they, they can participate okay and and Audie, uh, you have some international experience as well uh, collecting embryos in, in different countries can you share with us some of those experiences like in Central America and South America <clears throat> Yeah, we were very fortunate years ago to have a Brahmin client in Houston that uh, had an, a worldwide market for live cattle. Then when Mad Cow hit, the borders were shut down, so they implemented a program of selling uh, embryos. So as, as their provider of embryo services, they, they, they convinced the, the, all their clients to allow us to go in and put the embryos into they purchased. So we did. We went from South America to the Far East uh, transferring embryos. And in, in a lot of cases, we did very well. In a lot of cases, it was subpar, but we learned some things as well. Some of those embryos had stayed out of a cow for at least 15 or 18 hours before transfer again, for example, Costa Rica. And we still saw 50% conception rate on those embryos. So, But the international market is growing. Uh, there's Thailand is a huge market right now for the Brahmin embryos. There's one gentleman there that's really driving that industry strongly. And um, it's, it's been good to us. So. And, and do you see a lot of American influence in that market? Absolutely, especially on the Brahmin side. I mean, everybody's coming to the U.S. for Brahmin genetics. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how long that will last because they're improving. They've got, I mean, those markets are full of our genetics now. And they're probably improving them to the same status that we are here now. So I don't know what the future holds, but they're still coming here. If you go to Houston every year, the international people are in, in groves buying embryos or cattle. And you, you see them most in both Indicus, like in Brahman, but how about the English breeds? That I think the United States is probably the reference in the English breeds, right? Yeah, my, my territory is the southeast, so predominantly Brahman influence, but I've got colleagues in Montana and other states that uh, have exported a lot of embryo, Angus embryos to Argentina, mm -hmm. Russia, and uh, uh, Kazakhstan and those, th those countries as well. So the market is probably every bit as big with the uh, English cattle, but I just don't participate in that because of our territory. Okay. And Audie, um, I think we are, are going towards the, the end of our interview here. Um, is there any hobby that you you like to do when you are not working? Because most of your work, is, you have to travel a lot, right? That's correct, yeah. My two favorite hobbies are fishing and hunting. And obviously I can do the fishing, but the hunting part it falls right in the busy season. We work very hard in the fall and the spring. We start December the 1st, traditionally in the end of June. So there is no time to hunt. I, I miss out on that quite a bit. But the fishing in the summer months, I do take advantage of. 
Okay. And Odi, I would like to thank you for participating in the podcast today. I am Joe Vendramini. Joe what? <laughs>